Hello, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast, sponsored by the Wallingford Public Library, where we talk about books, culture, and life at the library. My name is Julie Rio. I am the Assistant Director of the Library, and I co-host this podcast because my mother always told me that I have a face for the radio. You know, I was waiting for some new and creative opening, and you went right back to the old one. That's right. On my this- toes. This month is mommy's birthday, so we have to pay homage to mommy. mommy. My mommy's birthday, too, this month. That's right. Look at that. that? Wow. We're we're bonded. We're so bonded. We are. My name is Cindy Haken. I am the Reader's Advisory Librarian at the library. I could talk about books all day long. And these days, not sometimes, but most of the time, I do. Yep, she does. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, Cindy, what's new at the library? Well, you know, the last episode we had the great Leah Farrell on as a as a guest, and we talked about we introduced the 2022 One Book One Wallingford program. And I thought I'd just provide an update because things are really uh, going well and hopping around that program. The, as a reminder. The 2022 One Book One Wallingford selection is Transcendent Kingdom by Yajiasi, and we cannot keep our 40 plus copies of the book in they 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 get read they come back they go on the display and they go right back out um uh, we have sold more copies of the book we have it in both hardcover and paper and paperback and we've sold more copies of the book already than i think we had sold pre any of the other one book one wallingford events awesome Um, uh, with tickets, we, we've we've handed out more tickets at this point than we'd handed out at any of the other Wonderful. One Book One Wallingford events. It's really fantastic. People are are already talking about it, um, saying they've read it, they couldn't stop reading it, and um, uh, I, I'm super excited. There's a great there's lots a great of little, buzz around town. A lot of buzz. Um, there's a great publicity campaign going around. Um, uh, hashtag caught reading TK where you can take a selfie of yourself reading the book um, and use that hashtag. And uh, we will, um, anyone who does that will be entered into a drawing to win two uh, autographed copies of both, an autographed copy of both Transcendent Kingdom and Homegoing, Yajiasi's first novel. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of fun. People are sending us blurbs that they would normally appear on the back of the book, uh, saying uh, their own personal reviews of the book. and, And we're sharing those over social media. So um, uh, it's really fun. There are posters up all over Wallingford in storefronts and and so on and so forth. Uh, We've had two programs so far. We've had a women in science program and we've had a a cooking demonstration from from Ghana. uh, And both of those Mm. were were well attended and very well received. Um, I did a a book pairing read-alike list for uh, great novels about women in science and some and some biographies, and I'm working on another book pairing list. The next program is a clergy panel on the intersection of faith and science, and I'm going to put together mm. a program, a book pairing list on that actually later today, because uh, I promised. And um, <laughs> and people are talk people are talking about it outside of Wallingford. We're getting a lot of interest um, from neighboring towns, and it's just mm-hmm. really fun. I mean, it's it's, it's a big fun. book, and it's it's a great get that we uh, were able to secure her visit. It's better, now, remind it's better me, to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, so remind me, when is she coming to town? Monday, April and, 4th, 
6.30 p.m., the Paul Mellon Arts Center at Choate Rosemary Hall. Actually, uh, Leah and I were there last week, last week, earlier this week, it's been a long week, um, looking at the, the Paul Mellon Arts Center. It's, uh, it seats almost 800 people. Um, uh, actually, just this week, we got confirmation that a Yale Divinity School professor, Danielle McRae, is going to be in conversation with Yajiasi. She really wanted to, to be in conversation with someone instead of just lecturing at us. And um, uh, Yale had been sort of in a tight COVID lockdown. And so mm -hmm. um, Danielle was uncomfortable committing, but things are easing up very nicely at the university. And she emailed me earlier this week and said she'd absolutely love to do it so fabulous that's, that's going to be just terrific and um, we still have tickets available for that oh event, yeah correct yes yes i i um i think that it's going to be very very well attended but but yes luckily because it's such a large auditorium i think that we should we should be fine in terms of people who want to come awesome and the best part is the tickets are free 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 <laughs> and there will be uh she will be taking questions and she will stay as long as there are people who would like to have her sign copies of the book and, and talk to her. Uh, and we will be also selling uh, both of her books at the event. So if you if you would like to do that, some people come to the event and and are so fascinated by the talk that they go and buy the book and then stand yeah. on the line. So to get mm -hmm. to get the author to sign it. So I will be in that line. Good to definitely. Know. Good to know. <laughs> So, Cindy, what are you reading? I read. Uh, this is actually a segue from one book. We could look at. We could just do this segue. You're gonna. You know Ooh, why? Um, segue. I I want to talk about a a fascinating memoir called Lost and Found, written by Catherine Schultz. And the reason it's a segue from one book is that Catherine Schultz is married to Casey Sepp, who is the author of the last one book. Look at that. Look at how I did look that. At, look at that. I know. Casey um, Sepp, author of Furious, Furious Hours, Hours, which was the 2020-2021 uh, yeah. one book, one Wallingford uh, selection. Uh, look and, at you. So this is one talented couple, let me tell you, because mm. I loved Furious Hours, as you know. Yes. I read it three times, and I really, really, well, needs must. And, uh, and, <laughs> um, uh, I just thought it was brilliantly done and fascinating. Catherine Schultz um, turns out to be the author of one of the most well-written and absorbing articles I have ever read. Uh, it was, I think, a twenty in twenty fifteen, but I could be wrong about that. It was a it was a New Yorker article about the anticipated massive earthquake that is overdue on the west coast of the United States. Um, and I remember uh, sitting in my living room reading this article and being so blown away by it. It actually won a Pulitzer Prize, and I didn't I didn't remember the name of the author. Um, but in looking at Catherine Schultz's bio when I started reading this memoir, Lost and Found, I realized it was the same person. And I was like, Oh my goodness! No. And there was a lot of buzz about this book. I mean, people were really this is showing up on all the January most anticipated or the 2022 most anticipated lists. The book is about, uh, it's divided into three parts. The first part is called Lost, the second part is called Found, and the third part is called 
and or ampersand, um, uh -huh. uh, which is very clever. And lost is about the the uh, the death of her father, her of her beloved father. Um, uh, she and her older sister, her parents were very very happily married for a very long time. She and her older sister, uh, very very close to their parents. This is a very tight knit family, and it was about the last eighteen months, basically, of her father's life, um, and about what it means to lose something, something, mm. someone, the concept of loss and using the word loss to mean death um, mm -hmm. and all of that. So it was a memoir, but also sort of musing about these, these deep, deep topics, but in a very, a, a very approachable and relatable way. And the second part found mm -hmm. is about meeting her meeting Casey Sepp and falling in love <laughs> with Casey Sepp and what that was like and taking Casey Sepp to meet her parents and then meeting mm -hmm. Casey's family. And, and the fact that they come from incredibly different worlds and how they made that work and how, how they fought a lot in the first year of their relationship and how they almost broke up and how they, just, they realized they weren't gonna break up. And so then how they had to learn how to fight with each other in more constructive ways. Um, uh, and, and really candid and also again, deeper, bigger picture thoughts about love and what it means to be in love with someone. Um, and the ampersand is about mm -hmm. their marriage, um, ah. uh, and their decision to get married and what that was like and what that meant. Um, and, and with the acknowledgement that her father wasn't there um, uh, mm -hmm. and that he was missing and what that was about. And, and I just, uh, I, I was so impressed by it and so moved by it. Uh, I've already recommended it a couple of times. I, I really think uh, she's incredibly gifted um, mm -hmm. and, and um, they, are, they are one power writing couple, let me tell you. Yeah. Now, so, does the book address at all last year when we saw Casey during the virtual one book discussion? She was uh, pregnant. She was uh, pregnant. So does the book dive into that? Had she had the baby by the time the she, book? She, I don't, she, she says in the ampersand part mm -hmm. uh, that, that they're having a baby, but that's, okay. that's all. So, I mean, the, I, she, she's, I'm sure she's had the baby by now. I mean, the book only came out in yeah. January, but I think it mm -hmm. was done. It was done. Well, probably, the yeah. The the uh, writing deadline was probably yeah. right around the time of the birth of their child, right. and right. So that I think sounds like a fabulous uh, follow up right. book. She is. Um, she is. This came up. I I don't. Um, uh, she is um, in her upper forties, uh, and and Casey is much younger. Not much. I mean, okay. much is not the right. Uh, but mm -hmm. several years younger. So I, so now we know, now I know why Casey, Casey carried baby, but, um, uh, cause I didn't realize that. Eight, well, I was wondering about, I, oh, I was my curious about how they, how they decided who was going to carry the baby, but that's that, you know, that's I was an awfully personal thing to wonder. Well, I didn't about. ask the question, <laughs> but I, you can, you can wonder personal things without invading someone's personal space to ask. Um, I didn't ask the question, but I was curious about it. And now, and, and now, I, and there is some discussion about the age difference her, her awareness of their age difference and, and, but that Casey is an old soul and it didn't matter and that, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's just a one, mm -hmm. one very powerful sentence saying, you know, in the context of 
what it, what their union means because they're having a baby, but she does, she just mm-hmm. leaves that there and goes mm-hmm. on. Okay. You, you should definitely read it. You will. I think you will really love it. Great. Another book to add to okay, my good. to be read pile. What have you been reading, J-Ro? Uh, so one thing I have been uh, studying, I should say, it's called Ain't Burned All the Bright by Jason Reynolds with artwork by Jason Griffin. So the two Jasons. Right. And it is really, it's a three sentence poem that is uh, illustrated with really stark, striking images uh, by Jason Griffin. And this is how the book is described. It's a, and this is one word they use on the book jacket, by the way. A fierce, vulnerable, brilliant, terrifying, what is wrong with humans, hopeful, hopeful, tender, heartbreaking, heartmaking manifesto on what it means to not be able to breathe and how the people and things at your fingertips are actually the oxygen you need most. It's all so on the it's, cover of the book? It's 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 on the, the jacket, the description. Oh, on the jacket. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's a poem about the pandemic. Like I said, three-sentence poem in three parts about the pandemic, about the Black Lives Matter protests and movement. And uh, like I said, the artwork is really stunning and striking. And so... You know, you go through it once reading the words, and then I'm going through it again to really look at those images. And uh, it's billed as a YA book, but I think really it's for anyone and everyone should read it. And Sounds look fabulous. At it. Fabulous. Yeah, and Jason sure. Reynolds is amazing. Yes. Um, uh, oh, definitely. Well, that, that sounds just terrific. Yep, it is. You can have it when I'm done with it. How about that? Thank you. Look, look at how we're sharing. Look at that. <laughs> and in that context, let's, yes. can, I would like to move on because I know our listeners are going to be very excited that we are going to do something now on this podcast that we have never done before. Um, how excited that's going to be. Well, and nor have we rehearsed it. So we'll see how it oh, goes. Oh, well, yeah. Um, we'll see how this goes. Uh, as I pointed out to Julie last week, this podcast is called The Bookmark. And uh, so, the main theme is is books and reading, and mm-hmm. and I suspect that people know by this stage in 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 our recording career that we have very <laughs> different tastes in books. Yes. Um, and although we do occasionally read the same book, it's usually because one of us had has read it and said to the other, "You really, really need to read this." Um, mm-hmm. but every once in a while, we happen to read the same book months apart to say, "Oh, I read that. Oh, I read that." But it is extremely rare that we mm-hmm. read the same book at the same time. Yes. And it is even more rare that we both feel the same way about the book that we are reading at the, in general and about the yes. book that we are reading at the same time. And that happened um, uh, just, I think we both finished the book within the last few days. Um, I finished the book yes. Wednesday. We're recording this on a Friday. I, I finished the book on Wednesday and you finished it yesterday, yesterday, yesterday on Thursday. Thursday, so, yeah. Um, so, and we both started it pretty much at the same time, um, uh, just, yeah. just over the weekend. So um, uh, we thought, and we thought, and it's a big book, both in terms of its length and in terms of its buzz. Um, yeah. uh, and so- we are going to devote our, our this next topic to talking to each other and to you all about the book. And the book 
is called To Paradise, and it is by the great Hanya Yanagihara. <laughs> yes, correct. So you all know I don't read. I read a lot, but I don't read nearly as much as Cindy does. I don't know. I've never met anyone who reads okay. as much as Cindy does. And I have to tell you that I don't like a lot of what I read. I don't talk about it here on the podcast. So when I tell you that I think that this book is a masterpiece, I do not say that lightly. Um, like Cindy said, it's 700 pages long, so it's definitely an investment in time, but it's worth it. Um, so the book is in three parts. It's a triptych, and each take place during a pandemic of sorts. So part one is Washington Square, and it takes place in 1893. Part two is Lipo Wao Nahale, which I hope I'm saying that correctly. That sounded that's pretty Hawaiian. good, actually which takes place in 1993, uh, and Zone 8 is Part 3, and that takes place in 2093, so each 100 years apart, right? Yep. So Part 1 tells the story of 28-year-old David Bingham, who lives in New York, in an alternate version of America, which is divided into the Western Union, uh, which is California, Washington, and Oregon, the American Union which is the Midwest, the United Colonies, which is like the South, the Republic of Maine, which is its own country, and the Free States, which is the Northeast. And the Mid-Atlantic mostly. Yeah. And the Mid-Atlantic exactly. mostly. Yeah. Yeah. In the Free States, there's freedom of religion and the freedom to love and marry. So David Bingham and his younger siblings, John and Eden, come from a very influential and prestigious family of bankers who helped to found the free states, kind of like J.P. Morgan, only more influential. <laughs> That's how I was looking at it. Uh, so 10 years ago, their parents were carried off by the sickness, and they were left in the care of their paternal grandfather, Nathaniel, who lives in a mansion on Washington Square, in Washington Square. With David's siblings being married off uh, via various arranged marriages, uh, both for strategic alliances and consolidation of wealth. Uh, John is, is uh, David's brother, John, is a banker. He's married to Peter, who's a lawyer. And his sister, Eden, is a med school student who is married to Eliza, who does charitable work. So now it's time for David to find a mate. And uh, David is very fragile and prone to bouts of what his grandfather calls confinement which we can only imagine is some kind of mental health issue, right? So the family lawyer arranges for David to meet with Charles Griffith. Charles, now remember these names because yeah, they're, they're going to come gonna up hear again. Them again, right? You're going to hear them again in the other, in the other sections. Uh, so Charles Griffith of Nantucket, who's 41 uh, and a widower to David's 28 years. Uh, and uh, Charles is from a wealthy family of shipbuilders. Charles is a very nice man, but David isn't really interested. But he is interested in Edward Bishop, who's a 23-year-old pianist who is of no means and who teaches music at the same orphanage where David teaches art. And so... Da, 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 da. And da, so da, da, da. What will happen? What will happen? What will happen? Which suitor will David choose? And how will his grandfather react? Mm, yes. Um, all I want to say about part one at this time 
is yeah. uh, that if you are, it is clearly an homage to Henry Henry James's novel of, of the same name, Washington Washington Square, uh, just mm-hmm. set in this this alternative America, um, which does alter very much how you hear the story, but it is very, very much an unabashed homage to that. I mean, other people have talked about Edith Wharton and yes, there are shades of Edith Wharton, uh, yeah. Age of Innocence or House of Mirth, but, but mm-hmm. this, is, this is a direct homage to Henry James, this, this part. And, and it is 177 pages mm-hmm. um, in my edition, in the American edition. Um, I've also seen the UK <laughs> edition. Um, uh, and it is it it can be read 177 pages is like a, like you know that's a very short novel you 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 yeah. I read that in one afternoon um, Me too. and it is uh, extremely powerful compelling yes. compellingly powerful compellingly powerful yes, yes most definitely okay okay go ahead <laughs> okay so part two. Uh, tells the story of a different David Bingham, the 25-year-old descendant of Hawaiian royalty who is working as a paralegal and living in a mansion in Washington Square. Same one. 50, yep. Just going to say, same one. Sa- sa- same, same mansion, same, yep. With his 55-year-old lover, Charles Griffith, who is a senior partner at the same law firm. And when part two opens, Charles and David are hosting a dinner party in honor of their friend and Charles's ex, Peter, Peter, who is dying of AIDS and preparing to go to Switzerland to die by assisted suicide. Then we segue to David's father's backstory. He's living in Hawaii with his friend, Edward Bishop, in Lipo Wa'o Nahale which means the forest of paradise. Look at that. Look at that Look at theme. That. Um, Look at that. Right. So part two is actually two parts. So so roughly yeah. 80 pages each. Um, uh, you have um, Charles and David throwing this party um, and reflecting mm-hmm. on, and, and it's told from David's point of view, and it's reflecting on his relationship with Charles, how that happened, um, how he feels about it, that they love each other, but it, it's clearly two very, very different people. We even get some fast flash forwards uh, in there to to the future, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I thought was very interestingly done. And and the p- dinner party, of course, is an incredibly uh, poignant, um, emotional evening. Very um, moving. Uh, but but against but the whole time David is is holding in his pocket uh, a letter that he has received from Hawaii, and mm-hmm. and we don't actually know what that letter says. But you can probably from reading part two, which is all told from David's father's perspective about what mm-hmm. has happened to him, and he he flashes back to his life um, and uh, um, his very difficult mother and uh, and everything that happened in Hawaii uh, up until that point. Um, uh, you can figure out what that letter says. And um, it's it the themes of, I think I'm just going to say this, the themes of part mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. the themes of part one are echoed very strongly in that particular section of part two. In um, all three books, 
Yes, but I, but I, but I, there in, are, in, the, yes, yes, but in part, I, I, I want to say that part two is not an alternative version. It's very, for anyone who was no, alive, correct. especially for anyone who was alive and living in the New York City area in 1993. Part two, this, especially the first part, will feel incredibly familiar uh, mm -hmm. to you. Um, in ways that will will bring you back to that time and place, which was difficult. Yes, it did. Um, uh, and um, <laughs> and the and I mean, unless you're from Hawaii, the second part of part two will not feel relatable in the same way. But it is it is not alternative. It is correct. It is um, it, quote if you will real. Um, and <laughs> and in that sense, it has a very different feel from part one and part three. Um, but the themes. That the 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 themes that underscore part one are echoed particularly strongly in the second half of part two, I would say. Correct. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. And moving on. <laughs> and moving on. As you can see, to... this book, this book, trying to summarize this book uh, in an in an mm. elevator pitch is impossible. Is um, impossible. Is impossible. Go ahead. Part three. So that that's part three. Right. Uh, as you remember, is called Zone Eight and takes place in 2093, uh, and really centers around that same house in Washington Square in Je Greenwich Village, um, and it alternates between the 50-year-long correspondence uh, of a troubled and brilliant scientist. And then also the story of his mentally challenged granddaughter, who is living in a post-pandemic totalitarian dystopia uh, and living in the that house in Washington Square, uh, which is now in zone eight of this uh, post-pandemic of Manhattan. Uh, and that's about all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. You, yeah. you may want to add. I don't want to spoil anything. No, no we, we're as I, I think it's clear we're trying hard to avoid spoilers. Right. So I think we can say about part three, which is, by the way, almost half the book. Yeah. Um, but divided up into 10 subparts um, mm -hmm. that alternate, as Julie said, between opens in 2093, uh, the, the granddaughter named Charlie. Um, uh, just to bring the names forward is, um, is living in, in one of the subdivided apartments of what was the townhouse, uh, with her husband and, mm -hmm. um, uh, then, then part two, sub part two of part three is in 2043, I believe, and, and is 50 years first, earlier, mm -hmm. right. Uh, letter between her grandfather, Charles, um, and Charles is very dear, uh, best friend Peter, who lives in the UK, um, uh, which is which which gets renamed later in uh, in, <laughs> in part three, um, yeah. uh, and and he's moved with his husband and their his husband and their Nathaniel and their son mm -hmm. David. Just just yep. keep 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 the names going, um, and and of course the best friend is named Peter, um, and uh, they've moved from Hawaii uh, to to a recognizable Manhattan in 19, in 2043 mm -hmm. um, uh, because the Rockefeller U University, which is a great science research um, institute on the east side of Manhattan, um, all the way on the East River, um, mm -hmm. not far from Memorial Sloat Kettering for people who, who are familiar with that great 
Cancer, Cancer Institute, um, uh, wanted him to come and he is an incredibly ambitious uh, man and uprooted his uh, his spouse and his son to do that, which, which um, sets off some very, very challenging times for his family. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, what becomes clear is that the country is reeling from a series of um, pandemics um, uh, that, that are, and I should say pandemics and climate events um, mm-hmm. that are, are causing tremendous upheaval um, and, a, and a series of significant health crises. And he really, really w- wants to be part of the scientific team that's going to help solve that. Um, and, and it is, we learn about what happens really for the rest of his life um, mm-hmm. uh, um, in these letters to his friend, Peter, um, mm-hmm. in England. And, and so we alternate parts between his granddaughter, Charlie's marriage and life in 2093 and what mm-hmm. has, what has happened in those 50 intervening years. Uh, yeah. in, again, masterfully done, uh, mm-hmm. absorbingly done. I, 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 I want to say a couple of things to, to just observations I think you could read each of the three books that they would stand alone. Yes. Uh, as three distinct novels. I think the first and the third parts in particular um, mm-hmm. uh, would work as standalone complete novels and be, be compelling. Um, mm-hmm. So that in and of itself is super interesting, notwithstanding uh, how many themes run across all three. There has been yeah. a lot made about the fact that that Charles, David, Peter, and Edward in particular, those four names are prominent mm-hmm. in all three books. And also all three books feature a butler named Adams, um, yes, which, yes. I, which I thought was very funny. Um, yes. Um, uh, the townhouse is in all three. Hawaii is not mm-hmm. important in 1893, but is very important in, in the second part and the third part. The surnames mm-hmm. also... Um, reappear Bingham and Griffiths and Bishop uh, reappear, mm-hmm. uh, but in weird contortions. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Gay men feature very prominently in all three parts, and the horrors of illness um, mm. feature very prominently in all three parts. But, but I personally, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion about what it means that the names come. From up come across all three parts a hundred years apart and how mm-hmm. how they are related. And yeah. I actually don't I I I'd love I would love to have Hanya Yanagahara come on the podcast and ask her a lot of questions. But <laughs> if but you're I, listening, Hanya <laughs> we'd really love it. it. Um we're really big fans. Um uh um I, and I've already had my sister-in-law has read this book um, mm-hmm. and loved it, loved it, loved it. And she and I've had a back and forth about this. Um, I don't think that these people are related to each other, notwithstanding the overlap of the names. A lot of people yeah. are trying to figure out the relation. And I think mm-hmm. that they represent that each each part represents a different version of of what of 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 Manhattan at a time mm-hmm. and place and that these are just these the names are the same because 
depending on this thing happening or this thing happening or this thing happening, we could be in this different place. So you, so you have these, the same named people living who are completely different people living completely different lives, but that, and I'm not doing, I don't think I'm doing a great job describing what I mean, but that, that it makes sense that they're the same names because they're different versions of the same concept, the same concept or same yeah. people. You know what I mean? Well, maybe you not, I'm not doing not diff- Yeah, not different <laughs> versions of the same people, but it makes it more like it's an everyman. So it, you know, it, Charles Griffith, you know, at this time, he's this person. At this time, he's that person. And, and another time, it, he's that person. And it just, I think the name isn't as important as to know, you know, just what the experience is. And the experience could happen to anyone, whether your name is Charles Griffith or not. So yeah. I think it just, yeah. you know, it's, it just, it's just, it's just the placeholder. Um, yeah. I mean, there's That's a lot of, there's a lot of, I guess you could say there's a, there's this long arc of causation that runs through sort of there's, you could, you could at any point on almost any page, you could say, what if, what if this mm-hmm. thing happened, you made one different decision right here. How mm-hmm. would that play out? Um, and there's all, there's, you know, you get human, human beings are caught in these, in these consequences of each, each little, there's a um, little act that seems like a nothing, a nothing decision mm-hmm. um, yeah. has, has these consequences. And, and each of these people living in these different imaginings of America um, uh, are, are, are trapped by um, their, their love for one another and, and, and what they do in the name of that love. Um, uh, It's just these small small choices that keep getting made that lead Mm -hmm. to, to ultimately massive and I think for the most part, unforeseen consequences um, mm. and, and, and how that manifests. And it's not just in the romantic love either, but the familial love, yes. the familial yes. obligations and expectations of these arranged marriages of, you know, what you're going to do with your life, how I'm going to protect you. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting yep. as well. You, you have these, these, each, each part has a, has a, has a main ca- character who's mm-hmm. frail, who has, who's frail and mm-hmm. whose frailty leads them to throw their lives in, um, uh, with someone ultimately, you know, potentially who's, I shouldn't say untrustworthy. Yeah, or, I was going to say yeah. that now that. Now but you're that's okay. uh, that's putting okay. your own personal opinion am, in there. I am. I am. So, so mm-hmm. we talked, Julian, this is one thing we did talk about ahead of time. It has come up a lot that each book ends with a cliffhanger, um, uh, which is, which is, uh, I mean, certainly none of the three parts ends conclusively. I, I would yes. agree with that. But, but what we were talking about is that I, I don't think that the first two parts are cliffhangers. I think that the ending of each of the first two parts is fairly clear, but again, that's my own, that's again, your my, opinion. Own, my own opinion, but the ending of the third mm-hmm. part is not as clear um, to me. To you. And, and <laughs> um, 
uh, I can't, and I, you know, we were talking about why, why that I do think, I definitely think that each reader is going to interpret the end mm-hmm. of each part in a different, in, in, in a way that suits that person's, the way the, that person has read the book and the, and that person's own feelings about the characters and aspirations and, 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 and views on human nature and, mm-hmm. and the ways of the world. I mean, I, and also personally, whether you want to read into something with a sense of hope or a sense of doom and despair, yes, uh, despair, yes. you know, I, based it, on your yeah. own experiences. Yeah, Speaking it, of despair, did we yes. mention Hanya no, Yanagihara's first? Look, we or, are so in a mind meld right now because I was just going to say, you know what? I don't think we mentioned uh, yeah. uh, that she is the author of the two cult other classic two yeah. two other books two other books but the cult classic a little life <laughs> which we've mentioned on this podcast which, in the past yes i'm uh, sure and, we have because and, it is beautifully heartbreakingly uh written and gut-wrenchingly gut-wrenching yes and i was just speaking with jane about that book this morning and she said i've never read it because i don't know if I can. That is what uh, my husband yeah. has also said. He's like, at first, he's like, I guess I'm going to have to read this book. And he's like, no, you know what? I don't think I'm going to read this book. Yeah. I, I, both books, both, I, I, I should say that there, there, it is a mark of my personal view, the, the genius of Hanya Yanagihara's writing, that mm-hmm. she has written two masterpieces that are genuinely quite different from each other. This is not like a little life they they are no. both about um uh they both are epic in their scale and they're both mm-hmm. about people who live very deeply felt lives um uh but but this is a very very different book and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of the i mean I, it, it is not an understatement that this is this is on this was on every single most anticipated uh, yes. book of 2022 list this book um, little life came out in 2015 so it's been almost seven mm-hmm. years um mm-hmm. and and it has a a rabid fan base of which i am a member <laughs> um and and so i think that that some fans of a little life were a little mystified by this by mm-hmm. to paradise because it is such a different book um and uh i know other people who who felt it was an even stronger book than a, than a little life. I I'm mm. on the fence. I don't know about if I that. agree with that. Yeah. I'm on the fence about that, but, but I'm not sure I loved it less. I just may have loved it differently, differently. because it's such a yes. different book. And, and if, if I was told, you know, I've said for a long time that a little life was a desert Island book for me. I'm not sure that if I was told I could only take one of the two, books uh that i would take a little life instead of taking to paradise i don't i Hmm. don't know i also um uh want to say that it's been a little over 48 hours since i finished it and i have been unable to pick up another book which julie knows that that going 48 hours without reading i'm a little twitchy um uh it's very strange (laughs) for me but every time i have thought to pick something up since I finished it, I've been, my head has still been too full mm. of to paradise. 
and I haven't had room in my head for another book. And I cannot remember, yeah. I cannot remember that happening. Um, so I, 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 I think it's um, just phenomenal. There's phenomenal. Yeah, because there's a lot there. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of uneasiness, both in terms of, as you say, you know, the the not so certain endings of each of the three parts of the book, and also in terms of where she goes with these alternate, hopefully alternate reality in 2093. Yeah. And the alternate reality in 1893. So there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to digest there. And we should say that Hanya Yanagihara is the 47-year-old editor-in-chief of the New York Times Style magazine. Okay. This is the so other this, thing. Yes, this it, this is not her full-time it, job she, to write most, these masterpieces. Can, can we just can we just step back for a second? Most most successful <laughs> writers working today, that's their job, right? Some sometimes mm-hmm. they have something else going like like George, just a, George Saunders, who's a brilliant, brilliant writer, teaches creative writing at Syracuse and the MFA program at Syracuse, or Ann Patchett, who everyone knows I think is a, a wonderful, wonderful, the wonderful bomb. writer, uh, The Bomb, um, uh, co-owns a bookstore and does a lot of work around that bookstore. Um, so so it so it's happens that you can be a successful writer and also have another job, but she has a full, t- her if in interviews she says, I'm not, I'm, I, my job is that I'm the editor in chief of T, which is the New York Times mm-hmm. style magazine. Um, and she does this on, she writes this at night. She does <laughs> this on her own time. It's like a hobby, um, uh, uh, which is probably part of the reason why this book took seven years after uh, mm-hmm. a little life. Although famously, she said she wrote a little life in 18 feverish months. And she, and she also yeah. said, um, that she plans, this is very Dickens-esque, she plans the books out fully in her head ahead of time. Mm. And that once mm-hmm. she, that she writes them and there's not a massive rewrite, there's tweaking and that, you know, and so forth yeah. and so on, but they they emerge um, uh, after what must be intensive mm-hmm. um, mental effort. Um, and we should mention that even though this book is about pandemics uh, and illnesses, she did start writing it before, before. 2020, before yes. 2020. Uh, and obviously uh, it was tweaked and added to uh, after the COVID-19 hit. Um, but she did have did she? I think it was an epidemiologist read it. Yes. Uh, to yes. check for accuracy and such. So she she had a lot of medical consultation on on this yes. one. Um, I, there was a magnificent article about the book, a a a very positive review of the book in the Atlantic, written by Jordan Kistner, and and he likened um, he commented on the fact that. You know, everyone is looking for patterns and what it and the meanings of the overlapping names and so forth and so mm-hmm. on. And that he he actually thought it was a book about chaos theory, um, mm. which at first I was like, oh, that's too highfalutin for me, for my <laughs> brain to fathom. But what what he said, and I, I just I loved the comments, so I wrote it down, is that chaos is an inescapable and uncontrollable aspect of our lives. 
Mm. And that um, in To Paradise, human beings are both the architects and the refugees of that chaos. And I, I mm. thought that was actually an incredible distillation of, of the book and about what's going on. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I know that people will balk at a 700 page novel. It, it is not, mm -hmm. he, he says in that review that you, that you go through it like a cake through a, like a knife through a, a perfectly baked layer cake, um, uh, <laughs> which I thought was a fascinating simile. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, it is not, it is, I, I could not stop reading it. I, when I said I read the first part in an afternoon and then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm done now. And, and maybe tomorrow I'll pick up part two. And mm -hmm. I, and I was so, so could not get my head out of the book while I was doing other things and making dinner and eating dinner that I just said, forget it. And I went back upstairs <laughs> uh, and read the first part of part two before I went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I immediately next morning read the second part of part two. So, uh, yeah. um, uh, and it's I read great. part one and wanted to sit with it for a while. And so I purposely didn't yes. pick it up again so that I could sit with what just happened. Right, right. I, I tried to do that and I couldn't, but um, but that was my intent as well. And, well, I, and I, I have more self-control than you yes, do. Apparently, um, <laughs> at least when it comes to books. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, um, so, yeah, I I. It is, we are recording this on February 11th, and I may have already read my favorite book of, of 2022, which is just, Whoa. I know, I know. You heard um, it here first. You heard it here, you, you did hear it here, 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 heard it here first, um, but uh, um, I can't, hmm. I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I thought it was really quite something. She's really quite something. She's really quite something. And you know me, I like to read passages from the books. Go, go ahead. Because. Yeah. So do know, I. Yeah. We, we can talk all day about how brilliant of a writer she is, but I think, you know, nothing will prove it as reading a passage from the book. Now, this is from the uh, first section of the book. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, so, and we're talking here about David. He was attuned to the dangers of the world, but not to its delights and joys. Even love to him was not a state of elation, but a source of anxiety and fear. Did his beloved actually love him? When might he be abandoned? He had watched first Eden and then John in their courtships. Had witnessed their returning home late in the evening, their, chink, their cheeks pink with wine and dancing had seen how quickly they snatched letters from the tray offered by Adams, tearing open the envelopes even as they hurried from the room, their lips already lifting into smiles. The fact that he had not experienced the same kind of happiness was a source of both sorrow and concern. Of late, he had been beginning to fear that it was not just that no one might love him, but that he might be incapable of receiving such love, which seemed altogether worse. His infatuation with Edward then, the awakening he felt within him was not just transporting for the sensation itself, but intensified by his sense of relief, 
There was nothing wrong with him after all. It was not he who was damaged. It was only that he had yet to find the person who would rouse in him his full capacity for pleasure. But now he had, and he was at last experiencing the sort of transformation that love had visited on everyone he knew, but that had always eluded him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Everyone read the book and then let's have a big book club discussion, uh, which yes. I'm never going to be able to do this at, uh, as a Thursday night book club pick, alas, but no, um, I don't think so. Truly, truly, it's a transporting reading experience. Yes. So if you read A Little Life or To Paradise, please let Cindy and I know. Yes, please. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it. Uh, because either we certainly one. think that it's it's there either one both of them are very worthy yep look how my look into we're so in harmony i know i know it'll never happen again never this is mark it, folks. this date <laughs> <laughs> oh, it barely happens now <laughs> it may never happen again Oh, my. So you know what it's time for? I think so. The book. Bake the book. Diggity. Hot dog. And what I have made, because you know, I've told you before. Here we go. I enjoy the breakfast. Yes. Oh, yes. So when yes. I saw this cookbook on the shelf, Rise and shine, better breakfasts for busy mornings. I just had to. I had, had to. to. Had to. So I tried a few recipes from here, but I'm going to pick one uh, from the uh, section that is not for busy mornings. It's uh, the section for when you have a little more time to make breakfast in the morning. And what I made was good morning sunshine muffins. What a happy, what a happy sounding thing. Isn't it? No. It is. And it's a, it's, it's a take on, uh, which Cindy and I both enjoy. You know what I'm talking about. Morning glory muffins. Morning glory muffins. Love. We love both enjoy the morning love. glory muffins. Yes. Um, such harmony today. Again, harmony. We both yes. love morning glory muffins. This is amazing. It must be because Valentine's Day is next Monday. That must be the reason. So. Yeah. We're starting early. Uh, so, in, but instead of apple in this uh, recipe, it calls for pear. So that's why I was intrigued okay. because I thought, hmm, 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 you know, pear, a little different taste, a little juicier, you know, so it's got your usual eggs, milk. This is extra virgin olive oil. No, is that in the, you know, okay, but yes. That will definitely uh, impact the taste. Interesting. Okay. You know, Instead of maple, maple syrup. Oil, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the pear, the carrots, the walnuts, the shredded coconut, the raisins. And then, you know, those are all your ingredients. And then you've got the flour, the brown sugar, the baking soda, the cinnamon, the ginger, and the salt. And I have to say, you know, it was delightful to bake. Um, don't know that I would bake them again because um, the the apple has a very definite, strong flavor. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what 
at least that's yeah. what I'm expecting, right? Yeah. The pear was a much more muted taste. Delicious nonetheless, did not throw them away, ate them all, <laughs> but don't know that I would try it again. Could you make the same recipe and just substitute apple for the pear? Sure, I could, but I have a recipe for oh, Morning okay. Glory muffins okay. that I enjoy. Okay. And so I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, but I, I would like you, I would, I'm putting in a request for one of those the next time you make that recipe, please. Oh, one of the morning. Okay. Yes, please. I will do that. Thank you. Thank you. I sent you a picture. Uh, you did. The time I made. You did. And I think I, I responded it. enthusiastically. Yes, you did. But I <laughs> didn't bring you, you one. Didn't, you didn't bring so. me one. You just ate them because, you know, that's how you I roll. did. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I love the breakfast. Okay. Here we go. Uh, I, um, I chose just because mm -hmm. I'm, I was thinking she's going to do something sweet and, uh, let me, let me do something hey, else. This is, a recipe, that idea. I, this is a recipe I've, I've made before and I've decided to make We have friends coming over for dinner and I'm going to make it again. It is from one of the many Barefoot Contessa cookbooks. Um, you know, I, I am a big fan of Ina Garten. Yes, AKA me too. The Barefoot Contessa. This is from her book, Cook Like a Pro. Um, uh, one of her more recent ones, and it's called it's creamy chicken. Sorry, chicken thighs with creamy mustard sauce, um, and it's it's absolutely delicious. Um, you basically you saute the thighs. That's easy, right? Skin side down first until they are super dark and crisp, and then when you flip them over to cook the other side, you add in um, sliced onions so that the onions saute in and underneath the chicken, which right away means they're gonna be particularly delicious onions. And then when the chicken is done, you bring in, this is the decadent part, very decadent. You bring in white wine, creme fraiche and mustard. Um, so you make this incredible, incredible sauce uh, and the chicken just, then you just bring the chicken back in and that's it. So it's actually, even though it's oh. like a pro, it's a very easy, dish and it's del delicious oh it sounds delicious i wish i were the person invited over for dinner but alas i'm not anyway and with that it looks like our time is up i like this experiment of of talking about a of book talking about it I think yeah that, well our listeners will have to tell us but i think it went well Yes, please do tell us if you uh, enjoyed the talking about one book topic. Um, so I want to thank our dear listeners for listening to the Bookmark podcast. Please check the show notes for a list of the books, authors, and websites we talked about. And please subscribe to the Bookmark wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll know when a new episode is available. And visit the library's website at wallingfordlibrary.org for more information about the library, our upcoming events, and how to contact Cindy and me. As always, thank you, Cindy. Can you control yourself enough I can, to say- I think, I okay. think, Julie, thank you so much, Julie, thank you. To let our listeners know, I made a funny face at Cindy and now she can't stop laughing. But we only do this in one take, so I'm trying very hard <laughs> to pull myself together so we don't have to start all over again. Now say goodbye, Cindy. Goodbye, Cindy.